Any football fans here in the room? It's that time of the year, and, and I did grow up in Texas, so I think I, ob- I have an obligation that I must love football. And it's that time of year, you know, I know that there's a certain game in state that's getting closer and closer that uh, everybody's ready for. Um, but it's football season, and there's not that many games in football. You don't want to be hitting each other too hard all of the time, right? So you have a limited amount of games. It's a small part of the year. And I was thinking about a story I heard this last week, that there's this high school, River Valley High School, uh, who had to forfeit the rest of their season. I was imagining just what it's like to have all of your games canceled. And the reason was, was they didn't have enough players. But the reason they didn't have enough players is why it was on the news. Uh, Some football players in the locker room decided that what they wanted to do that day was to record a fake slave auction in their locker room. And so primarily a bunch of white football players auctioned off three of their black football teammates. And these players had some belts around their neck to look like loose nooses. And the community was shocked to see this video, as you could imagine. And there's a lot of things that are frustrating about this story. Uh, but, and one of those things is there was a press conference and an apology, and the apology was from the three black students. And so they felt so ashamed of having been a part of this thing that they wanted to come out and say something. And the common ground of their confessions and their talking through the ugliness of that day was they talked about the effects of peer pressure. So I want to read to you uh, a couple quotes from them. One of the students told reporters, part of me knew it was wrong when it was happening, and I didn't have the courage to stop myself or my teammates, and I wish I would have. Another student said, they needed another person to be in the video, and being the only black person left in the locker room, they all turned to me. And I made it clear I didn't want to do it, and I tried to leave, but I wasn't able to. That is just an ugly, frustrating, painful moment. But what it was speaking to me about for our community was if we're going to talk about how to love our neighbors in a divided world, we have to talk about peer pressure and the influence of that divided world on us. Because you might want to love your neighbor, and yet you might enter into a space where the pressure comes, and next thing you know, you're doing things you wouldn't have ever imagined yourself to do. And so I want to talk about what peer pressure is. If you're just trying to think of, I need to use a different phrase so I get out of thinking about it like normal, just think about it as social influence. Peer pressure is that influence. In our social settings, peer pressure can be positive or negative. You can be influenced to do good things. And so you might have a friend group who is deciding to make healthier decisions. Maybe your your work or your school is like, hey, this is a fitness month, whatever. We're going to make a lot of healthy decisions. We're going to drink more water and you might get around them, and you're more likely to make healthy decisions. You might have a friend group who really wants to do well in school, and they're studying for the exam, and they want to study, and they actually want to study. And that might help you study more and do better. You might have coworkers who are working hard, who are putting a lot of effort into their work, and it inspires you to put more effort in. But as much as it can be positive, it can also be negative. You're really working hard on your diets and your friends say, hey, let's go to the Cascades, let's get some ice cream. 
And, you know, it's time to break the diet for a little moment, right? You've got some friends who are like, you know, the teacher doesn't look. Like, I think I can have a little cheat sheet in class. And you're like, well, everybody else is doing it. It's not fair. My grade's going to be worse than theirs. And, and so next thing you know, maybe you're cheating. Your coworkers don't care about work. They're goofing off. They're, they're letting things go. And then next thing you know, you don't care as much about work either. We have a way of having, uh, being influenced by those around us for good or for ill. Now, this pressure, this influence, takes at least two forms. Sometimes it's explicit. People say out loud something. They invite you to do something. They say it to you. And you have to make a decision, yes or no. But most often, influence is just implicit. You see things happening and you just can't help yourself. You're influenced by it and you want to go along with it. If we had a, on the table on your way in, if we had a bunch of just like silly glasses out, you probably wouldn't just wear silly glasses to church. But if you walked in and you saw eight people in the room and they're all wearing silly glasses and you see the silly glass on the table, you're like, well, I guess we're wearing silly glasses today. And nobody even has to tell you about it. You just see people doing it and you're like, oh, I guess I don't want to be left out. I'm going to do it. And there's all sorts of fun social experiments about this of like how far that will go. I saw one of like a, a doctor's office waiting room and every time like a little buzzer happened, somebody would just stand up and then they'd sit back down. And they didn't say anything. But before long, other people start standing up with them. And then other people start standing up. And then the whole room stands up. And now the people who started the experiment have been called in. And the people who were just following that person, they are continuing the tradition. New people walk in the office, the buzzer happens, everybody stands up. And no one has a clue why. We're just so influenced because we're social beings. We want to belong, we want to fit in. And that social pressure can be used to bring positivity, hope, love, and also to bring harm and hate and anger. And so it's in this context, when we think about social pressure, that I am so excited to read today's text because this is one of my favorite stories. Paul has an amazing and frustrating dinner party to tell us about. And so I'm going to read from Galatians chapter 2. Now, it's going to say Cephas, or Cephas, depending on how you want to pronounce the name. And just as an awareness, Cephas is another name for Peter. Uh, Cephas is like the Aramaic way of saying that name instead of the Hebrew name or the Greek name. Peter's got a lot of names in the text. But I think it matters to hear that it's, it's Peter here. But when Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, I, Paul, opposed him to his face because he stood self-condemned. For until certain people came from James... He used to eat with the Gentiles. But after they came, he drew back and kept himself separate for fear of the circumcision faction. And the other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not acting consistently with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, how can you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews. The word of the Lord. Now this story has a lot of pressure going in different directions, a lot of influence being exerted, and the people in the story have lots of influence. You've got Peter and Paul and Barnabas and people from James. You've got some big name people in the story. 
And it all begins with a little bit of negative, implicit peer pressure. We're going to be causing people to exclude each other and not having to even use any words to do so. It all came into, where did you go sit down at dinner time? If you've ever seen people file into a room and you're not sure where to sit, and you start kind of looking for cues. Like, do I know that person? Where are they sitting? And so Peter sees some friends, some people from James, from Jerusalem, and he decides to eat a little bit different than normal. So the background to this is the, the Hebrew Bible, the, the law, has some rules about what's clean and unclean to eat. And as people thought about what's clean or unclean to eat, they started to create more rules of how do we make sure um, that the kitchen that's cooking the food is clean or unclean? How do we make sure the dining room is clean or unclean? And we want to make sure that this whole practice is as holy as possible. And so the shorthand becomes, if you're a Gentile, you don't follow the law, I'm not going to eat with you. And for us, the easiest way to think about that is to think pre-civil rights era segregation of saying, this room's only for this group. This water fountain's only for this group. And so these people come from Jerusalem, and suddenly Peter's like, I don't think I can eat with those Gentiles. I'm going to sit with uh, the people from James. And maybe the people from James say something out loud, but they don't have to. Peter just knows their reputation. He knows their fervor for the law. And so without even words stated out loud in this text, Peter just decides, you know what, I'm going to go sit with this group, the insiders, the ones who want to exclude the Gentiles. And in this story, Peter does this, but it's not just Peter. Barnabas, all the others, go along with it. And so the whole room starts moving their way over to the table with just the insiders, and the Gentiles are left out in the cold. And it's into that space that Paul does something fascinating. Because for most of us, the temptation in life is when we see somebody being excluded, when we see things, the room's temperature is going a certain direction, most of us don't want to step up and say anything about it. We might go home and be like, can you believe what was happening today? You might bicker about it. You might go tell the Gentiles later and go, I'm so sorry. But how many of us stop and do something while this is happening? while people are being mistreated, interject into the room. And Paul knows how to interject. He doesn't come on slowly. He doesn't come off, you know, I, you know, I kind of think that maybe you might want to consider how you're treating the Gentiles. Paul goes straight up to Peter and says, hey, you hypocrite. <laughs> like, that's the confrontational route. Paul went there. And hypocrite's such a good term for this. And we know it as somebody that just doesn't do what they say that you should do. They live a different way. But the word hypocrite comes from the mask that drama people would wear, that you'd go on stage, you'd put a mask on. It might be the joyful one. It might be the sad one. But it's not who you are. Hey, Peter, you're being a hypocrite. This is not who you are. And that's actually a more beautiful correction than you're a lousy person. You are no good. Saying, Peter, you know better. Why are you putting on this mask? How on earth can you tell people that they should live like this when you don't even live this way? Be real. Be yourself. This room needed you to step up. 
You had influence. You could have done something different. And yet, look what you've done. You've, you've made these Gentiles feel like they're outside of the kingdom of heaven. Because if you can imagine what these Gentiles feel like, they're like, I thought we were close. You know, you told us that we didn't have to follow the law to follow Christ. Why are you suddenly shunning us? What did we do wrong? Are we not good enough? Are we not, do we not belong to you, to God? Where, where do we stand? And so Paul steps up, not because this issue doesn't matter, but because it matters centrally to the gospel. That the gospel is about God telling all of the earth, whether you already loved God or not, I love you. I'm here to save you, to redeem you, to rescue you. You belong at the table. And so every time we try to close that table off, we are at risk of messing up the gospel and trading it in for something worse and less than. And so Paul was willing to stand up. And I would love for us to be people who are willing to stand up to make sure everyone feels included like they belong, that they're not less than, that they're not less than uh, whatever category you want to put. We all have the in crowds for us, uh, the people who, who feel like they're the most elevated ones in society that we kind of put on a pedestal. But can we treat everyone like they belong at the table? I was reading this story and I was thinking about a childhood memory, table memory, my mom went to pick me up from school when I was, I think, like in second grade. And the teacher was talking to the parent, and, and thankfully not talking about something I had done wrong, thankfully, on that occasion. She wanted to tell my mom for some reason that, hey, just so you know, uh, at the lunch table today, the, the boys were acting up. So all of the boys at the table, except for Dallas, decided that it would be really smart to put pepper up their noses. But, you know, he didn't. He didn't. And I don't know why she wanted to share that with my mom, but she chose to do that that day. And then my mom chose to ask me a question later that day. She, said, she just wants to know, well, everybody did it. Why didn't you do it? So, hey, Dallas, why, do, why didn't you put pepper up your nose? And she will tell you that she still remembers the face I gave her that day with disgust of like, because it's stupid. <laughs> why would I have put pepper? Are, are you thinking I should have put pepper up my nose? What's wrong with you? And I think we all need to learn, of like, how do we have a little bit of disgust for when people do something that is clearly wrong, that is clearly hateful, that's clearly uh, shunning people, that we don't feel any temptation to it. We are disgusted by it. We are trained ourselves so that we will not be influenced to be brought down to that level. And that it's not a temptation anymore. Just, I, I would never do that. And so I was thinking, what does it look like for us to have that level of, I'm not tempted to exclude anybody. I'm going to keep this table open for the next person. And so the question is, is do we want to be influenced or influential? And to be influential, we first need to be influenced by Jesus. Because if you don't feel grounded like you belong, you are going to become at the whim of whatever group that you're in. If you're always afraid that, I don't know if I belong, I don't know if I'm going to be accepted, I don't know if people are going to think that I'm worthy, if you're fretting about that, you will follow wherever the room goes. 
But if you're grounded in Jesus, you might have the security to live a different way. And so let Jesus be our influencer. You know, Jesus had parents who were embarrassed by him. Mark tells a story that they want to go take him home. They hear what he's been up to, and they're going to take him home. And Jesus hears that his parents are outside, and he's not letting them peer pressure him. He has the famous line of, well, whoever you know, believes me, whoever follows after me, they'll be my brother and sister. There's religious leaders who complained all about his Sabbath practices and him and his disciples throughout the Gospels. And Jesus was not peer pressured by these leaders who said, here's how you rest well. When James and John, some of his best disciples say, wasn't that village really rude? Can you just call fire down on them? Jesus was not peer pressured. I'm not going to hate and destroy this community. When people mocked Jesus's power on the cross, can't you save yourself? Jesus was not peer pressured. What is it to follow one who knows what it's like to have temptation come your way and to be able to say no to it? Say, I, there's a better way to live in this world. There's a better way to be. And so if we want to be free to influence others for good and for love, we need to be grounded in the story of Jesus and grounded in the picture of God that Jesus portrays, which is one with arms wide open, telling you that he loves you, not shunning you, not pushing you out. So if you want to be influential for good, be influenced by Jesus. Say yes to God's love. If you want to practice some positive influence, some positive peer pressure for love, for inclusion in your life, it begins with making up your mind ahead of time. If you don't think about it, and you're just like, well, I'll walk in the room, and we'll see what happens. If you think about it, you're like, okay, I'm trying to make healthy decisions for myself. I'm, I'm trying to go on this diet. And if I think, oh, I'm going to this restaurant, what might I eat there? What, how might I take a good route through food in this social setting? Well, chances are you might fall victim to the amazing-looking food that comes your way. You know, they tell parents to talk to your teenagers about, okay, you know, if you show up and, and some of the kids are, are drinking or doing drugs, what's your strategy? What are you going to do? What are you going to say? How are you going to make an exit plan? If you haven't thought about it ahead of time, it becomes really hard to do something life-giving in the moment. And so think about in your life... When will you choose to love, to include more people? How will you choose to do so? And so plan that inclusive tactic. So you might think through, I feel tempted to let people mock people when, okay, how do I, how do I turn a conversation around? When someone is ridiculing somebody, what's my strategy of turning that conversation towards something more life-giving, something more hopeful? Because I guarantee you, you will have conversations where people are ridiculing somebody. And if you don't have a strategy of, here's how I turn a conversation around, it's hard in the moment to figure that out. So how do we plan our inclusion better? You might think about, okay, when I, um, when I go to church, if I go to the cafe on a Wednesday night, if I see somebody being excluded What's my route to make sure that they feel like they belong? How do I make someone feel like they belong in life? Think about in your workplace, your family gatherings. 
you might know who's the likely person that's going to feel like the outcast of this situation. And how can I go in there with a the strategy to make sure they feel like they belong? If you want to increase your opportunity and your chances for positive peer pressure, bring a spiritual ally and friend. It's harder to do things alone, but if you say, hey, would you be my partner? I, I want to make sure so-and-so feels like they belong today. That's my goal. Can you help me? If I'm not doing well at this, can you help me do this better? I'll look out for you. You look out for me. And I think that's why Paul gets so frustrated in our story today. He's like, even Barnabas got led astray. Barnabas was that guy for him. We're in this ministry together. And man, even Barnabas sat in that table. And Paul did not let Barnabas go to that table without saying something. I'm going to stand up for the people being excluded. I'm not going to let Barnabas go too far astray here. We're going to stop this right now. Bring a spiritual ally or friend. And lastly, pay attention to the Spirit. We all have that feeling of like, oh, this isn't right. And we can squelch it and say, I don't want to feel that. I don't want to do anything about that right now. Or we can say, yes, God. I'm a little scared about what people will say about me, what they'll think about me. But I belong to you. I hear you. I say yes, no matter what they'll say to me. No matter what they'll do, yes, God. And I want us to be aware today that as you're thinking about, do I want to influence people or, or just be influenced by every situation that I walk into? You might think, I'm actually pretty influential. I got a nice title. I got a nice family situation. I got a nice bank account or whatever it is. You might think, I'm above the opportunity to be peer pressured. This story was filled with people who should have been above the, the strength of peer pressure. If you feel like, who in the early church should feel like, I'm not going to get peer pressured into something? Peter should feel like that guy. And yet, we know a lot of stories in which he struggled with it. Because the real situation is, is if you have influence, you become afraid of losing that influence. So some of the people who are most peer pressured are the people that have the most at stake. Like, oh, if, I, if they see me differently, what will they think about me now? And so whether you are someone who feels like you have a lot of influence, or you feel like you don't have much influence at all, Know that you are a child of God. You are a reflection of God's image, of God's light. And no matter how many people are in that circle that you think you're influencing, God has a reason for you to be where you're at today. You might be the person in the room that's meant to bring a little love, a little hope, a little positivity, and help let Jesus' life and love be visible to those around you. And so I hope that you say yes to God today because God loves you. God has something for you. And let us not just sit on that. But let's extend that to everybody else in our lives. Let's be the people that people are like, I want to be where they're at because I'm not worried about if I belong. I know where I stand. I know I'm going to be loved there. Let's be those kinds of people. Would you pray with me? Lord, we ask that you might move in us today. That you might turn our spirits to you. 
we might say yes to all the places that your love is reshaping us to better reflect you. Lord, for those in this who are worshiping with us today who feel like they've been excluded, who feel like they've been pushed aside in life, we just ask for your love and peace to embrace them. Lord, we know that you invite all to the table. We ask that, that we, want, we would not question that, but we live out of that safety and security in your love. And Lord, I ask that you might make us not content to just rest in that, but that we would want to invite others into your beautiful kingdom. You might invite others into love through us. Lord, I ask that you might make our families, our workplaces, our schools, our neighborhoods more loving places through uh, your love in our lives. Lord, we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.